0: Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show, uh, brought to you by the Georgia Record, georgiarecord.com. I wanted to uh, talk about a few things today, but we've got a really interesting show. We're going to bring you some positive news. Uh, A gentleman I've known for a long time is going to talk about uh, his father's experiences in World War II and the patriotism that he showed. So I'm really excited to discuss that. Tom Flame is going to join us. And then Bill Quinn is going to speak with Dr. Peter McCullough, who was at the Faith and Freedom Conference recently in Forsyth. Before we get there, I want to make everybody aware of an event we have this Thursday in Miami. Uh, if you're in the area, please go to MiamiIndependent.com. Check the events tab. We are doing events around the country on the protection of children. Uh, I don't think you people don't know what they don't know as far as how the attack on our kids and grandkids is being prosecuted. It's gender mutilation. It's gender ideology, CRT, uh, vaccines, uh Just a variety of methods they're using to destroy the family and destroy our kids. So, and you don't have to be in Miami for this. We have a live stream event. uh, This will be great. Uh, It's going to be up for a while if you purchase the live stream. We do have to charge a few bucks because we've got close to 10 grand in expenses with travel, security, insurance, venue, et cetera. So uh, please check us out, support us on this, and it would make a great family event to wake up the people around you who may not know what's happening to our kids. So the live stream, if you get it, will be available for some time. You don't have to watch it Thursday night. You could do it on weekend, have some people over, have family over, and, uh, and, and stream the stream again and uh, wake up your friends. So please help us out with that. So that is MiamiIndependent.com at the events tab. Check it out. And I'm going to bring in Tom Flame. I go way back with Tom. Um, we were just talking about that. He's a Gainesville resident, and he actually was involved with my dad uh, when he started the Church of the Hills in Johns Creek, which is now Johns Creek Presbyterian Church. So, welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, we, I think the last time we spoke was about a decade ago, and you're a pastor, you're a Dane pastor, you're a missionary, you are a writer, an author. So, I, I had heard a friend of uh, Bill Quinn told me about the book about your father and I found that fascinating. So I'm just going to let you take it away. I'm going to show the cover of the book here in a second, but tell us about the book and about your dad and what do you get the war?
1: I appreciate that. Uh, the opportunity for sure. Um, so my, my dad's story is, is really unique. It's a, um, uh, it's a side of world war II that, uh, most people have never read about or heard about. Uh, there's no major movies about it. It's a, uh, Uh, It's a side of the war that Americans never saw because it involves the Italian underground Mm. and the freedom fighters that were fighting for an independent uh, northern Italy. Um, It was actually a large movement, uh, but because they aligned themselves with the Russians primarily during the war, uh, the Americans don't know anything about them. (laughs) Mm. After the war, America and Russia were on, on odds with each other, and so their story never got told. We hear a lot well, about people, the French people. People don't know the
0: history of the Russian involvement in World War II in America. They lost twenty million people. I mean, they fought the Nazis for four years before we ever got involved.
1: But that's right. That's exactly yeah. right. And yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting story. My dad was uh, born in the Alps, uh, at a place called Tyrolia or mm-hmm. the Tyrol, which is uh, now part of northern Italy. But but prior to World War One, it was an independent uh, autonomous uh, uh, country. So they had their independence, but after World War I, they were given to Italy. So they've never really considered themselves Italian. My father never really considered himself Italian. Hmm. He was always Tyrolean and Trentini. Interesting. Um, and so when Mussolini came to power, uh, he and a whole bunch of others fought it tremendously. They didn't want to have anything to do with Mussolini and his and, and, and fascism. So when he was 19 years old, uh, the black shirts came and pounded down his door and said, Congratulations! You're now part of the Italian military, and we're going to train you in basic training. And we're going to send you to the Eastern Front. Hmm. Um, that didn't sound good, so uh, he went through basic training and uh, tried desperately to go to to escape, and couldn't do it. And on the road to the Eastern Front, uh, the, the the truck literally skidded off the road in a in a heavy rainpour downpour. And so they unloaded all the guys to help write the truck. And he saw an opportunity and he ran.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he ran to the mountains, literally. And uh, he was a deserter. Um, mm-hmm. His family didn't understand mm-hmm. um, because his, his uncle, he, who we he grew up with, was uh, a staunch supporter of Mussolini and mm-hmm. fascism. And so uh, he couldn't go home. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he uh, lived on stealing provisions and things. Um, Got together with some other guys who felt like him. They formed an underground band and went to the mountains and started doing random acts of sabotage against the Nazis and against Mussolini.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: And that went on for a couple of years and their exploits got bigger and more dangerous. He grew to about a little over a dozen men at one point, men and women. Um, he got involved in some very uh, dangerous uh, operations. Um, He went into into Germany and uh, forged passports and papers saying he was a Gestapo agent. So he was able to travel all across Europe as a Gestapo agent, uh, as well as an Italian officer, as well as everything else. Um, And his story got very, very uh, convoluted at that point, because when you look at his papers, Mm -hmm. he has passports and papers showing him in like three different countries on the exact same date. So yeah. writing the book was difficult because I had to try and piece together the chronology of of what exactly happened in his life, um, but his exploits went on from there. He uh, the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, yep. uh, noticed what he was doing, and he was the he had the largest operation going in northern Italy at the time for for insurgencies, and um, they contracted with him. So he became an American contractor, and his team became a, American uh, agents. At the same time, the Russians got a hold of him and he became a Russian agent. So he was uh, a double agent with America and Russian intelligence uh, and spent most of his time in the last year of the war focusing on intelligence gathering for the Americans and Russians Mm -hmm. uh, and less and less sabotage. And his last real mission, he was captured a couple of times and escaped um, by the last year of the war, by 1945. It was down to him and one other guy. Everybody else had been killed in action. Wow! Um, and so it was just it was just the two of them. And the Americans wanted him to to be as part of a special uh, mission called the Meridian Mission, which is nowhere in the websites uh, because okay. it's still it's still top secret classified to this day. But um, he went to Berlin. Uh, he was there, met with the with the Russians as they encircled Berlin. Uh, he was there the day that that uh, Hitler was uh, killed himself, and mm-hmm. he was one of four teams that went in to verify the death of Hitler. Um, and as he, on the way back, uh, General Donovan, uh, while Bill Donovan may have heard the name, he was ahead of the, the OSS, uh, wanted yeah. him to stay with, the, stay with the Russians and do some intelligence gathering on the Russians mm-hmm. for the Americans. So he stayed with Russian intelligence gathering information for the Americans for uh, about a month. Mm -hmm. And then uh, got his papers to come back to Italy. Came back to Italy. And after the war, it was actually the most dangerous time for him because uh, there were more than 20 different political factions in northern Italy and there was no government. Um, And people were dying left and right. There was just Mm -hmm. murders left and right. If you knew Mm -hmm. somebody belonged to, if you knew somebody was a fascist and you were a partisan, you know, it was open field day just to take the guy out. Yeah. So um, he contacted the OSS and, um, they were uh, they 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 agreed he needed to come to America, so they put him on a boat to America, and uh, on the way to America, he met his future wife, my mother. Wow. Um, came into Ellis Island uh, with nothing but uh, an empty briefcase and twenty-five cents. Wow! And wow. Uh, the OSS paid his thirty-dollar admission fee and did some paperwork to get him into the country illegally, basically. Um, they brought him in. They made him offer to go work for the CIA. At that point, the, the transition was just starting to happen with the CIA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He decided he didn't want to do that anymore because they wanted him to go back to Europe and be a yeah, you know, an agent in, in Europe. And he thought that was just too dangerous. So, did, uh, so I'm curious.
0: Luck. Curious. Did he speak Russian? Did he learn the language? Or
1: a little bit. He yeah. didn't have to though, because at the time, between all the treaties, the, the Italians, the Italian intelligence was con- was considered neutral to everybody. The mm-hmm. Germans relied on the intelligence. So he could go to Germany almost freely and people, mm-hmm. he never to speak any German. He can go to Russia and mm-hmm. the same thing. He would just show his papers and he was fine. So he always had uh, translators. He had, he, had a, he had a handler, a Russian handler, who mm-hmm. handled his translations. And he had an OSS handler who handled his American translations. Gotcha. So he spoke a little bit of everything and really nothing well of, of anything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but when he came to America then he became an invisible immigrant. And um he ended up in Chicago, which was rough because he didn't speak the language well. Uh the in Chicago hated Italians because in the 30s they had to deal with Capone and all the Italian mafia and then in the right. 40s most of the guys in Chicago had lost brothers or uncles or fathers or cousins, you know, fighting in Italy. So everyone hated the Italians and he would get sure. beaten up regularly and you know, sent to the hospital and couldn't get a job because, and he couldn't tell anybody the truth that he was an American contractor and he had saved tens of thousands of American lives. He couldn't tell anybody because the OSS had bound him to secrecy. Um, So he fought his way through, you know, uh, sweeping floors in a factory for 20 years and eventually made it to be a machinist. And, you know, he, he just achieved his freedom through a lot of sacrifice, which is why the name of the book is, through sacrifice, freedom. It's mm-hmm. it's about, an individuals, trying to achieve freedom, um, in a, in a, in an environment that just didn't conjure it up because he never knew freedom in Italy under fascist uh, fascist Italy there was no freedoms you were uh, you were you were uh, you were part of the machine and you had to there mm-hmm. was no freedom and then when mm-hmm. the Americans took over in Italy there was no government so again he was part of an occupied force. Sure uh, so it really wasn't until he came to America that he had a taste of freedom and it took a lot of years for him to work you know the war through his system because we had lost our entire family 30 we had mm-hmm. 32 men in our family, only two survived Wow um, so it was a, it was it was it was a very you know obviously he lived through PTSD for his whole life and I was fortunate as a young boy and young man, for whatever reason, me and my father never drank. Um, so he didn't have a bartender. I was his bartender. I was the guy he talked to. Yeah, and We would go fishing. <laughs> we would go fishing up in Wisconsin almost every other weekend. Mm-hmm. And he would just tell me story after story after story. And I was fascinated. And so I would write them down. And, you know, i jot them down. Notes That's and stuff. for stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a uh, – I learned later on, actually, his funeral – that my brother and my mother had no idea of any of the stories. I thought it was just common knowledge in the family. Wow. Nobody knew what he had gone through. Nobody knew the, you know, the torture scenes, the the the, the times he was captured, the mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the different battles, learning how to be an insurgent with no training at all, you know, and uh, learning how to live on the run in the mountains, you know, the Alps is an unforgiving place in the wintertime. It's you
0: know of course
1: bitter, brutal cold and 20 30 feet of snow and you know you have to live on your own you have to live out in the open there's no there was no there was no place to quarter because it was 100 for his entire time from the time he was 18 until he was 23 years old he was behind enemy lines so he was living behind enemy lines the entire time there was no one you could trust because you know the germans would kill anybody who was supporting a a, a, a separatist or a whatever you want to call the guys the insurgents uh uh, partisans. Right. You know, they had a lot. They had lots of names. So it's, it's a different story, It really is. And he, he was really very tied to the Russians for a long time. And when he got out of uh, out of the war, the Russian government was going to set him up actually as a mayor of a, of Genoa, the second largest city in Italy, yeah, because of the, you know, they they trust him. He knew what he was doing, and it didn't work out. And he started to work for the Russians full time and working for the government, and realized that. Communism was not what he liked. Yeah, it did yeah. not work for him. I um, mean, he was uh, he was an entrepreneur. He, in his heart, never had a chance to go out and be an entrepreneur in life. But that was where his heart lied. Uh, he ended up coming to America and becoming actually very, very, uh, very tied to the Republican Party. And you know, but but early on, you know, Northern Italy. It was all to this day. It's still very heavily uh, communist, uh, communistic, in its yeah. political leanings. Yeah. And so he was he was he was a son of that. You know, it's all he knew. And because the Americans really gave up their support, the OSS would drop money and drop weapons for them and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, And really took care of him very well up until the last three months of the war. And then the Russians took over and the Russians gave him a lot. And, you know, then he, then he hooked up with the Russians in Berlin and, then he became an agent spying on them for the Americans. He got to learn them real well, and they they trusted him. So he had a real kinship with them for for a short period of time there.
0: And that that was the brutal t- time of communism with Stalin and you know the, the Hol- Holodomor in Ukraine where they starved five million oh, people. So that was a brutal period. So he saw the real deal, I guess.
1: Oh, but, absolutely. You know, he was in uh, he was in Ukraine uh, after the war for a while.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, it, it was a uh, you know there. It goes beyond, you know. It's funny because I watch Ukraine. I mean, I'm a, I'm a an, I'm an animal for the whole yeah. Ukrainian war situation. I watch it every night. I get updates and stuff, and and I I see my father's life. And I, every so often, you'll see the insurgents go out and blow up something, and I'll yeah. say, "Well, blow up, they blew up. I don't know how it happened." And you know, those those are those. What, are what do the, you think is,
0: What do you think his thoughts would be of the U.S. the wisdom of the U.S. getting involved in a major land war in Eastern Europe? I mean, what would he say to that? In the bloodlands um, of uh, of Ukraine where, you know, millions have been killed.
1: I think he would be against it, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. I think he would be against it uh, until it got to be, you know, a national, a world war. Yeah. Uh, I, he, I, I believe that, you know, what the Americans are doing now, I support entirely. I think we're fighting a proxy war and we're spending a lot of money, but we're not losing any blood and we're not losing any men and and... and it's a it's a, it's a very low cost effort as far as i'm concerned we're weakening yeah. our enemy tremendously and we're not losing anything in the, in the interim except for some money so to me that's a good investment but once you start yeah. putting people i mean you know it's it's a um I, I i should answer the question i really can't speak for him obviously but of course i think well, i'm he, just curious
0: because you know, he never I, let I'm...
1: me jo- he never let me join the military i wanted to join when i was a young man he said no we've given up our lot, we've given up everything. It's, it's interesting, Todd,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I've traced my, my lineage back to Napoleon. Wow. And every single male in our family has died in war since Napoleon. We've never had a man get past 26 years of age, except my father. What was that? For,
0: Forrest Gump where the, <laughs> they, they died like every and every war.
1: <laughs> every war. Wow. And It's not wow. a joke. I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I can go, it's, it's every, every 25 years, man, there's a guy who's born, he has a male heir. And then he goes off to war and dies. So wow. my dad said, "You know, there's absolutely no way. You're, we're, this this ends now. You you may die young, but it won't be in a war." <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And I respected that. But sure, uh, of
0: course. So how do people get the book? Where the, the benefits you the most? I mean, obviously, it's you know, on. I appreciate you know,
1: the, that. Yeah. You know, as I say, it's available in book bookstores everywhere, mm-hmm. and of course, you can get it through Amazon and all the all the online exchanges. Um, but if you want an autographed copy, I'd be happy to do that for people. I have a website, it's called tomflame.com, T-O-M-F-L-A-I-M.com. And if you go to tomflame.com and just, uh, there's a place where you can say where you want an inscription, I'll be happy to write the book out to anybody and uh, and, and mail it out to you. So uh, that's probably okay. the best place is, is, is tomflame.com.
0: Excellent. So are you talking to anybody about a movie? I mean, that sounds like a real interesting story that would...
1: I, I have one, one producer who's, who's, who's reading the book right now. Uh, um, and really it's written like a mini series each chapter, because there you go. when I wrote it, you know, I have stories I have. Okay. So I know on this date uh, he was captured up and up in a bell tower in, in and in someplace in Italy. And after that, I know three months later he's doing this. So there's an in-between period. So this book is written really in segments like that to where it really mm-hmm. does make a, uh, it really wasn't a good mini-series. It's it's really written for that. I didn't do it on purpose, right? but uh, it's just the way it kind of came out. And it's, it's, it's 100% true historical fact. Everything in there I've been able to document through the OSS websites, or Russian intelligence websites, or Italian websites. Um, there's an awful lot of stories I could have told that I didn't put in because he told me and no one else, and I couldn't find anywhere to justify it. Sure. And I was always afraid that I didn't want to romanticize anything. You know, as a young man, it's been 40 years. You know, I, I didn't want to, you know, you see a movie and that can impact what you remember sometimes, you know. True, yeah. Um, so I wanted to be 100% true Accurate. fact. And it really is right. true history.
0: Wow, fascinating. I have to get a copy. Tom, thank you so much. Uh, an uplifting story for today. I really appreciate it. We'll have thank you back you on so down the Thank you so much. There.
1: I appreciate it. And thank you for the work you're doing. I really appreciate that. Uh,
0: take care. Take all right. Care. God bless you. Bye. Wow. Fascinating. So please sign up for our no ad subscriptions. Uh, we need support. We're not supported by Zuckerberg or anybody, but we have 10 different websites all over the world. If you want the best news without all the globalist spin, uh, sign up for our no ad subscriptions, pay us a few bucks a month and you won't see all the ads pop on your phone. I, 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 I promise. Also uh, I want to run a quick ad for my pillow, who is also our sponsor uh, it's that time of the year. It's after Christmas. Mike is laying off inventory, and he's got the My Pillow two point So we'll, I'm going to run this ad, and then we'll be back for the last segment with Doctor McCullough.
2: My Pillow two point commercial.
3: Gonna... Miss Makeup. Well, you look good.
2: Sleeping even better. We've got the best pillow ever. My pillow 2.0. He's a great intro, huh? Good. Good. We got it. Welcome to the set of the MyPillow 2.0, the most amazing pillow in history. That new technology is still the MyPillow's patented fill, and now we have new technology we didn't have back when I invented MyPillow that's gonna help you sleep. It's absolutely amazing, and you're the first ones that can check it out. Go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code on your screen, and we brought back the buy one, get one free.
0: For the best night's
2: sleep in the whole wide
0: world, visit MyPillow.com. So I uh, spoke to my wife and I said, what MyPillow products do you like the best? And she said, the slippers. Oh, and the bathrobe. Oh, and and the sheets and the comforter and the uh, mattress cover and the towels. So if you've got a a daughter or a new wife in the family and you need to really support uh, and, and help her get the housewarming going... Go to MyPillow.com, use promo code CDM for the best discounts, and stock her house. Mike's has over 600 products. Bill Quinn, who's very uh, engaged in in the Georgia record, uh, recently met with Dr. Peter McCullough, who is the premier cardiologist on the heart vaccine injury issue, which is really hurting a lot of people across the country. And uh, he sat down with Dr. McCullough, and I appreciated Bill doing this for us. And it's a great conversation, so I'm going to play that. Uh, because this is an issue that everybody needs to know about. It was at the Faith and Freedom Conference in Forsyth County. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Um, We are here today
2: at the Faith and Medicine Conference in Cumming, Georgia. And we are delighted to be joined by Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Bergeron. Um, and uh, we're, we'll be able to talk about the content of the conference a bit and some of the focus of the reason that people feel that it's so important to participate and be here uh, th- through these two days and learn uh, how, to, how to tie together biblical worldview along with the notion of importance in medicine so thank you both for joining us thank Thank you for having us so um uh, we'll kind of go back and forth if that's okay so dr. Berger could we
3: start with you how did how did the conference start what was the thinking and sort of years ago I thought there was a need to bring physicians and healthcare practitioners together who were Christians to know each other to share their ideas to encourage each other and that was 10 or 15 years ago but I also knew that I wasn't ready to tackle that project. So three years ago, we started in 2020. We had planned it before COVID ever happened. And uh, so our first conference was in February 2020. And the purpose was to, of course, bring a biblical worldview to healthcare. And then as, as in the last three years, uh, people realize something's wrong. And there's a spiritual component or dynamic to all of this. Well, how do you fight a spiritual battle of good versus evil or light versus darkness without biblical truth? It is the ultimate biblical truth. And so that's the purpose of this conference, is to to take the truths and the principles of God's Word and apply them to health care and to our own pursuit of health.
2: Isn't that interesting? So um, as you look at other disciplines, uh, education, um, election integrity and other things. I think you might find that those same notions, that notion of there's there's two hands in play, if you will, the hand here uh, on earth and then the hand of faith playing in.
3: Uh, it seems to be a common thread um, that we encounter. As we well, the first time Dr. McConnell met, his the first thing he said out of his mouth was, "This is a spiritual battle," and he went a little further and said, "It's he, this is demonic."
4: You made a great point, though. It's not just in the context of SARS-CoV-2, the viral outbreak, uh, but there appears to be widespread uh, acts of evil going on, fighting good, widespread corruption. Mm -hmm. You mentioned election integrity, but we're seeing it uh, all through politics. We're seeing it through uh, corporate business, certainly with the pharma biotech we are seeing evidence of things drastically going wrong. And through the last three years, I think there are clear cut examples where people have the intent to do harm to other peoples.
2: Yeah, very troubling, especially just in these last 10 days. Look at, look at what's come out regarding Pfizer and, and the uh, executive with Pfizer admitting that as part of their strategy, they seem to wish to continue to modify to
3: make COVID something even more troubling than it has been. And I would maintain it's not just whether it's legal or illegal. It's a spiritual issue. And I think that the average, every single American has to ask the question, what is best for my health and my body? Mm-hmm. Who has the authority to dictate what I must do for with a medical treatment or a
4: vaccine? It's so true. I've used the example that a man in prison, behind bars in a cell, has more freedom than uh, someone in school or at work or in the military who is forced to take a vaccine. Because when we start to allow someone else to shove a pill down our throat or a needle in our arm against our will through pressure, coercion, or reprisal we are stripping away their fundamental right to personal autonomy respect for self we're stripping that away that's actually worse than being confined in a prison cell it is. When, when you think
2: about and you mentioned it just a moment ago I and mean, people doing these things uh, tell me about how, how do you reconcile thinking about a person making those kinds of choices to do these upon other humans it seems seems
3: remarkable well let me give you a, a biblical principle in the New Testament the Apostle John writes we as Christians we know that the whole world lies in the power of the wicked one that's what explains their motives their behaviors and until we see that we could never fight against it. So do you, do
2: you see that becoming uh, more recognized
3: as we go through these? I think Americans and the world are waking up to, on some level. But ultimately, it is a spiritual uh, eyesight. Mm-hmm. And so from the Judeo-Christian eth- you know, uh, faith, you have to be spiritually alive. God's Spirit and, and His Word have to live in your soul for you to even see these things.
2: Yes, that's true.
4: You know, it's been said and it's been written that there'll be eyes to see, ears to hear. And others will have scales over their eyes. And I never really understood what that meant until the last three years. And it's clear people have scales over their eyes that they can't see the same things that we can see. Yeah. And yet others can. And it appears as if the proportions are not equal. There's a small number of people who see things clearly and a large number of people who simply can't see this to the point where they couldn't see the neglect of friends, family members, patients as being harmful in the context of the acute infection and they themselves cannot see the harm of the vaccines and the complications of the vaccines. And they reach for almost any other explanation Mm -hmm. outside of the vaccine. And when we interact with people, one of the uh, key diagnostic uh, criteria, I think for someone who has scales over their eyes, is they quickly will answer, I don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Avoidance. Okay. and we can't win
3: this battle just looking at it politically or legally or from a corporate or cultural standpoint we have to fight on all those fronts but it has to be spiritually based and i do believe that the christian church has to be organized i believe the leadership of the church has to proclaim this message
2: interesting so as you look at that and, and look at the various churches denominations the the scale that needs to be reached in order to bring that message what do you see as next key steps to get more and more to grab that awareness
4: i can tell you one thing that's clear to me what's that it's not coming down from the top of the church it's coming from the people it's not going to come it's not as if the pope is going to make a decree and then suddenly the catholic church will align or the head of Latter day Saints or Adventists or others. Yeah. In fact at the top of the church, it's worse. Many appear to be captured, they're within some dark place in their mind. They again, the top of the major denominations in Christianity all appear to have scales over their eyes. Mm-hmm. So fact, it's it's grassroots. Grassroots it comes it starts in every home
3: and we spread to our neighbors because we love them. That's interesting.
2: It goes back to what we said a few minutes ago. So many things are having some progress um, in, in other disciplines, and it many blo- uh, begin with a grassroots initiative, not a, you know, not a, an edict coming from someplace. It's it's folks saying, "I'm, I have to protect my myself, my family, my beliefs."
4: It's almost as if people are, are being given a challenge. Are we going to respect our own personal lives, our gift from God, and are we going to protect our families? Are we going to fulfill what we're told and taught in the Old Testament? Or are we going to wait for a court to decide, or wait for a a pope to decide, or a president to decide? It's not coming from above, it's not. This is about the people.
3: And it's not. These leaders, political leaders, church leaders, it's not primarily their their decision or their role to tell us what to do. There's guidance; they protect people from harmful things. That's what the, that's what the civil magistrate is for. But it's our duty. We we have a God-given um, gift of life and health, and to care for our families.
4: It's almost as if God. In this crisis, SARS-CoV-2, the infection, which is now largely ebbed, and what we're seeing with the vaccines, it's almost as if God is giving us, each one of us, a chance for redemption Mm. every day. And the question is, who is gonna take have the scales removed from their eyes and redeem themselves? And a lot of this has to do with our body as a temple. This is very, very important, our body as a temple. People respecting their bodies. A lot of it's about compassion, people being compassionate for one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are seeing a distortion of the human body through this, the, the, the savagery of SARS-CoV-2, the virus, and now the, the genetic vaccines and, and what they're doing in the human body. But in other ways, gender ambiguity, and, and, and changing the gender of children and, and, and in a sense, desecrating the human body. Uh, we're seeing intentional forms of confusion. It's almost as if Satan wants to confuse and beguile. And, and we can see that at work now. It's very obvious, I think. Yep.
2: I, I've heard um, some folks speak of it as, as bringing distance between people and God by having them focus on ways to be other than they were intended to be made, um, and introducing things that separate, um, very concerning. Uh, if I could ask, I understand you were uh, out of the country recently in Australia. What were your observations there, if I
4: could ask? I'm going there, actually. Really? So, yeah, I will be uh, going to, tomorrow to India uh-huh. and hopefully meet with the Prime Minister on Monday and then meeting with uh, doctors and dignitaries on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then off to australia where we expect a rougher time uh, Mm. in australia
3: but i also think it'd be interesting to report what do you know of uh, early treatment how is covid being handled in india
4: uh, you know i'm going to hear like anything else in india where there's you you know three dozen different tribes and sects and languages and and caste systems probably a tremendous mixed picture um but but i really want to get a sense of uh, in India is 85% Hindu and 15% Muslim. Very few Christians outside of Goa and a few mm-hmm. other places. I'm going to really be interested to see, has corruption settled in on them? Are they doing harm to one another? Uh, are they creating unnecessary hardships, stripping each other, stripping away each other's jobs? And doing since when in a civil society that's productive, and very well-formed like ours, do we strip jobs away from one another, based on an ideology?
2: Right. Isn't it interesting that so many folks have had impact to their previous employment, and in some cases now those same employers are backing off saying, oh, well, gosh, we made a mistake, but in some cases not undoing the
4: damage. Well, an example is the military, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yep. So, under a lot of pressure, I was involved in this and many others, We were able to put enough pressure on Congress and the Senate with the last appropriation to have it come down to the military, say, listen, get rid of the vaccines, despite what Lloyd Austin wanted to do. And now, uh, I've been in court uh, on behalf of soldiers. The next fight is to get them reinstated with back pay. So not only are they relieved of the vaccines, some of them, the National Guard and, and others still are not, but to have them reinstalled with back pay. Do you know that there are certain people, I'll give you an example, I'll name a name. Mitt Romney, Senator Mitt Romney, he wants them to be punished for not taking the vaccine. So what is in his mind? What would make a senator want to punish a soldier for choosing not to take a vaccine? It's
3: it's evil. It's not just politically right or wrong, it's evil.
2: And you you could easily make the argument, who gives more for this country than those who serve in the military?
4: Um, But why punishment for that choice? Yeah. You know, the CEO of Houston Methodist Hospital had no compunction about firing qualified nurses. Not even pregnant or had allergies, They, they, they were down to people who really could not take this vaccine. They already had COVID. No compunction. Went all the way to the Supreme Court of Texas, and they won. Houston Methodist won. They won. The court case that they can force the vaccine on all their employees you know what they did the next year they dropped the vaccine mandates wait a minute i thought it was so important a month earlier why is it suddenly dropped now why was it so important then the national football league national football league wants to force the vaccine on the players it's mid-2021 the players don't want it there's a tug of war nfl had taken money from the White House and HHS to the Community Court. They were a prominent recipient of federal dollars. Went to the NFL to push the vaccines on the players. They run vaccine mandates from middle uh, August of 2021 to March of 2022, and then all of a sudden they drop them. <laughs> they drop them. COVID doesn't. They were testing every week. They were using swabs. All this stuff. Suddenly COVID didn't exist in the NFL. These behaviors are absolutely bizarre.
2: Mm-hmm. Very
4: much so. So, Dr.
2: Bergeron, here we are in 2023. Um, You've had the conference running. As you look forward, what do you think are the key objectives, key goals that,
3: that may evolve going into next year and beyond? Well, next year the theme is likely going to be centered on what is God's image in us. If we understand the details of how God created us and how we are designed to think, and then apply the Word of God, use the Word of God to live, we can address and overcome all of these battles, all of these difficulties, because God provides wisdom and answers.
2: Wonderful. Um,
3: and then, uh, Dr. D.,
2: uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about was you, you brought up early treatment, you brought up some of your focus. Um, your latest book, Courage in the Face of COVID-19, can you? Tell us just briefly a little bit about it, and where folks can get it, perhaps a bit about what's in it, so they can position it for themselves.
4: So many things happened from my eyes view uh, in the last three years uh, that you know I was a year into it and had decided I teamed up with best-selling author John Leake. And John Leake is a true crime author, mm-hmm. full time, mm-hmm. has uh, several bestsellers, and. John approached me, said, I want to film you, I want to interview you. He said, there's a crime going on. There's elements of crime here. This isn't just confused public health response. There's crime. And we set about to just describe the first part of what went on, and that is the development of early treatment protocols and and the enablement of helping people Avoid hospitalization and death. Those are the two bad outcomes of what could happen. And then the crushing response we had from our federal and state agencies, medical boards, health systems, to just crush any hope of treatment to the population of people. have asked me, Dr. McCullough, what could be their intention? And I think I first concluded this when I went on Tucker Carlson. And it really disturbed him. I think it's intentional. I I, I think there is an intent to promote fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death. In order to lay the groundwork to push and then ultimately force mass vaccination. And the reason why I say that now, three years into it, those who are the strongest voices against any forms of treatment are the very ones who are most vigorously promoting the vaccines. They're one and the same. And the smaller group who tried everything they could to help patients do everything they can to provide compassionate care, trying to keep their loved ones out of the hospital, those are the ones who are more circumspect and wanted to look at the vaccines in terms of overall risk-benefit analysis. It was those that did not... Presume the vaccines were safe and effective, because it's the presumption that they're safe and effective is that drove all this. The CEO of Houston Methodist presumed they were safe and effective, therefore the, their employees had to take it. Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, presumed they were safe and effective, and that's the reason why the military had to take it.
3: And then the question is: Did they? Did they? It was more than just presumption. Did they? Was there? Was there any suggestion that they knew it wasn't? Proven to be safe, yet they forced it anyway.
4: And that would that would fit a
3: high crime.
4: Yes, very, very, very troubling. So the two crimes in the book, Courage to Face COVID-19. Now it's a it's a bestseller. It's got a 5 star ratings on Amazon, best selling multiple categories because it's it's a nonfiction gripping narrative. It's a page turner. It's not a boring medical book. It's written by a, a really pro of an author, and what we lay out is there's a crime that the victims are clearly the people who who got sick with the virus, who were hospitalized and died. They were clearly the victims. The perpetrators is, is what we describe as a syndicate. We call it the biopharmaceutical complex. And it is the congealing of worldwide global agencies, the state and federal regulatory agencies, big pharmaceutical companies working in concert. And the crimes that were committed were fraud. That we were defrauded. We were lied to. We were defrauded, and then mass negligent homicide. And as, as, as Red points out, that, that, that is a high crime.
3: And, and then there's the effect on, on people's families. You lose a loved one, or they're injured by a vaccine, and that goes on for the rest of their life. Right. And imagine, I mean, it, as, a, uh, as a,
2: a parent and a grandparent, um, I can only imagine what feelings I might have were I to have chosen to have this for one of my children. And the, and the resulting feelings worry to find out
4: what we're talking about now. What are the parents thinking who took their children in for a vaccine and they died a few days later? What's happened? What are they thinking? You know, I get calls every day. I see patients in the office every day. The regret and then ultimately the anger Mm-hmm. Is absolutely extraordinary. Seeing young people, dozens by the dozens, with heart damage, uh, athletes having sudden cardiac death, blood clots that are life-threatening, neurologic damage. I had a conversation uh, j- just last night. One of my fellow colleagues, who I train with, gave me a call. I hadn't talked to him in 20 years because I've been following you. I took one of the vaccines, and then he went to, on to describe his neurologic disability now, which is absolutely crippling. He's a father of, of you know half a dozen kids, he's still getting kids through school, and my heart is broken, my heart is broken for what's happening to him in his career due to the vaccine. Now People have said, well, Dr. McCullough, you, you know, uh, I'm heartbroken over what happened to your career. I said, listen, my career, you know, I can reinvent myself over and over again. I feel perfectly fine. You know, if, if my career is ended with a vaccine injury, or heaven forbid my life has ended with a vaccine death, there's no coming back from that.
3: And another disturbing reality is from public health authorities and and the medical system, there's no treatment for vaccine injury. You're left injured for years and years.
2: Well this has been incredibly valuable as we As we uh, uh, finish up, perhaps, Dr. Bergeron, do you have some final thanking and thoughts
3: for folks? Well, I would like to direct our audience to our website, faithandmedicine.org, and we'll look forward to seeing many people
4: next year. That'll be great.
2: Dr. McCullough?
4: Great. Well, I'm uh, delighted to be on faculty at the meeting, and I think meetings like this are needed. What's drawing people together is their faith people know something's wrong, they want fellowship, they want to know that they themselves are not crazy, that they, they're seeing things the same way, that there are people of like-mindedness, and it's not just about the vaccines or COVID. When they see distortion of, of, of childhood curriculum and, and, and intentional gender confusion and distortion of the human body, they feel sickened, and they don't need to know other people feel sickened, too. When uh, hard-working Americans who, who do the right thing and show up and vote and they see that, that, uh, that, that voting is absolutely corrupted and, uh, and the democratic process is destroyed, that they feel sick, that people need to understand that there is like-mindedness. There's probably far more people out there that do think in a similar way, and that type of fellowship, faith-based fellowship, is drawing people together. You can follow me at PeterMcCulloughMD.com. That's Mm -hmm. my website. I'll take you everywhere on social media. CourageToFaceCovid.com is the book. America Outlaw Talk, Radio McCullough Report is the podcast, and Courageous Discourse is the substack. I'm doing everything I can to help my individual patients, uh, but I have felt called to do everything I can do to help America and help the world. That's wonderful. Thank you both. Thank Thank you for having us. God bless you both. Thank you. God bless you.
1: you.
0: Wow. What a powerful interview and thank you for Bill Quinn for uh, knocking that out for us. Uh, You're going to see a lot more of Bill uh, in the future at the Georgia record. I want to make an appeal one last time to please go to miamiindependent.com, check out our events tab. And if you're in Georgia uh, or not in Miami, actually please sign up for the live stream uh, of this event Thursday night. Again, have some people over be a great grassroots uh, event at your home or at a party or whatever to, really wake up your friends and your family who may be on the fence about a lot of these issues tell them what's going on with the attack on our kids the panel is fantastic we have dr elena fishbane from no left turn we have dr paul merrick from flccc the uh, frontline covid care critical care guys uh we have the book brooke jackson the pfizer whistleblower kevin jenkins who is from children's health defense wayne black who is uh, the national uh, the security specialist on the Parkland shooting, the expert witness in court. And we have a priest, uh, Father Carrera, from Mexico. It's a very Catholic area down there, and he has been ostracized by the Catholic Church for speaking truth uh, and uh, giving the Latin Mass and really trying to bring the Church back to what it should be. So really going to be a powerful panel. Please sign up for the live stream. Please help us out. We need to uh, cover expenses and get this message out all over in the nation. So thank you very much, and we'll see you next week on the uh, Georgia 24 show. Thank you.